So Advent is beginning today. It's the beginning of a new year. Um, you know, we finished with Christ the King Sunday last week, and in the midst of that, we had our national holiday of Thanksgiving, and I hope that you all were able to both eat enough and, uh, and give thanks even more. And today we come at the beginning of this Advent season. Advent is a penitential season of preparation. That's a lot of alliteration and a lot of P's, but uh, a penitential season means that it's a time to offer repentance. It's a time to examine ourselves, to examine our lives, to reflect upon who we are, who God's calling us to be, and maybe identifying the gap between those two things. Uh, penitence is a time where we might express contrition or sorrow for our, t- our sin in order that, let's not forget the other P, we will be prepared for when God comes. We'll be prepared for Christmas. Uh, most of the getting ready that we tend to do for Christmas has to do with things that aren't related to our hearts. But the season is actually about that more than anything else. Um, Penitential seasons of preparation that last four weeks aren't something that many people are lining up to do, right? Wouldn't we all rather just kind of jump straight to Christmas and straight to celebration? And that's why for the next three weeks, you guys are going to be letting me know after every worship service, could we sing a Christmas carol yet? (laughs) So if you want to do that, come tonight at 530 because we're going to sing a bunch of them. It'll be great fun. But of waiting. Uh, wouldn't it be great if we could just unwrap the presents and we didn't have to sit there and watch them and wonder and, you know, kids show us our own impatience in many ways. But we can't do that yet. We have this time of getting ready. Um, so what I want us to do this morning is kind of reframe. I, I think that penitential piece is an aspect of our preparation, but it's not our preparation in totality. So getting ready. And this morning we're going to do that Um, by learning to wait and learning to watch. To wait and to watch is one way that we're going to prepare ourselves during this season. Um, During Advent, right? The first Advent, which means coming, the first coming of Christ, we remember as he came as a babe among us and was placed in a manger. Jesus uh, comes in great humility. But we're also actually looking forward to the next advent, the second advent of Christ, his second coming when he shall come Lord of heaven and earth as the king, which we remembered last week, and will judge the world. So we live in between those two times, and our job now is to get ready as we learn maybe to wait and to watch. So I invite you to listen carefully and listen well because has to do with those two themes, both waiting and watching. See if you can hear those two components in there somewhere, and see if you can also find yourself in the who cries out. Um, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. 
my soul waits. And in his word, my soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. More than for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is steadfast redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And I also want to pair that with one other passage. It comes from the beginning of the book of Matthew. The first sentence. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Another way to say that is um, the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. And this too is the word of the Lord. So the psalmist says, My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. More than those who watch for the morning. How does a night watchman watch for the morning? With great anticipation. And once they're off shift, they can go take a nap. Maybe that's what the parents are going to do on December 18th. When 10 to 5. How do you watch for the morning? With anticipation. With eagerness. Looking to the horizon, waiting for the dawn to break. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. It's not passive, it's active. Also, we hear uh, this passage from Matthew, uh, which introduces to us the genesis of Christ. Typically, at Christmas time during Advent, we often turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, which tells us about the journey to Bethlehem that Mary and Joseph take as they go to be registered there. Uh, we learn about the inn, the inn which had no room for them, and so they had to go elsewhere, and Christ was born a manger after he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Shepherds converge upon the place because angels have announced to them from the heavens above uh, glory to God in the men. Unto you is born this day a child, which is Christ the Lord, and so they rush to go to the manger I got to go to that field which once belonged to David where he was a shepherd and then where the shepherds too were keeping watch over their flocks by night this year where they went and then uh, worshipped Christ. We typically go to Luke because that's the nativity story, right? From Matthew. Because as we're learning to watch and wait for the morning, we also want to think about how is it that the Scriptures introduce Christ. Matthew, rather than telling the nativity story, which is riveting, tells us instead about, well, he just records a genealogy. So he begins with Abraham and David, but then they list all the generations between them in symbolic form, which induces a yawn. <clears throat> right? And yet... There's something really significant there because Jesus is God with us. The Son, eternally begotten of the Father, takes on flesh, but really takes on flesh, meaning that He takes on a human family, a human You introducing us to those from whom Christ is born. And so we learn about all the generations. And actually, when I think about waiting and watching, that's exactly isn't it? 
It's exactly, exactly what Israel has done, generation after generation, waiting and watching for this promised Messiah who will come and restore God's reign and rule. And so I thought, well, maybe if we want to learn to watch and wait, we can learn from the family who did that for a really long time. And so actually this morning, I'm just more interested here in this first Sunday of Advent, posture. How will you actually move through this season? There's an opportunity here. And usually we miss it or we get parts of it. But how are you going to posture yourself so that you can receive what Christ wants to give, so that you can learn to watch and wait? So I've just got, I've got five examples. Two from the scriptures and then three that I've encountered in the last week. And I'm wondering, as you just kind of listen to these little snapshots as you try to visualize them in your mind. I wonder if you can be thinking, okay, what can I learn from each of them? How can, how can I adapt some of their waiting and watching to my own so that I can be ready, so that I can be prepared, so that Christ can prepare me for the gift of himself? So first, what, what was that passage? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We'll go in reverse order. Let's think about Abraham for a minute. Remember Abraham? Those early... Abram saying, Go forth from your father's house, from the land of your kindred, to the place that I will show you. He's going to lead him to a land. Which is a pretty hazy direction, isn't it? You know, like... When I want to get directions, I want to know where my destination is, not just where I'm starting from, because I know where I'm starting from. It would be helpful to have the end point, right? Leave here and go there along the way. Abraham receives a promise, but then he has to wait. He has to wait for the land. In fact, he has to journey there. It's not just a passive waiting. He has to move. He has to go. And so he wanders around. He's a nomad. And he has a herdsman. And along the way, he's caring for his flock. Those things develop. He ends up in Egypt for a while, a couple times. And then eventually he ends up in Canaan. And it takes a while. He, he receives this direction and this promise, but then he has to wait for it. But the waiting involves a moving forward. Eventually he does come into the land. What else has he promised? Abram is promised will be as numerous as the sands along the seashore and will have the quality of the stars numbered in the heavens above. His descendants. The problem is Abram doesn't have a child and he and his wife are advanced in years. He receives a promise and waits and waits some more. Eventually, as he's waiting, as he's moving toward the land, as he's relying on the promise, I wait upon the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I trust, he continues to trust the promise even as he moves into the land. Again, the Lord comes and speaks his word, and so often we think but more accurately, we ought to think of Christ, who's the word of God who speaks. And so Abram is under the oak, three of them. And he's reminded again of this promise. He's told that a year from now, 
he and Sarah will have a son. Finally, then all these descendants. Sarah is in the tent. She laughs. They name the child Laughter. He's here. He's finally arrived. The promise seems like it's coming true. And then God says, Abram, take your son, your beloved, your only son, and take him to the mount called Moriah, and there offer him as a sacrifice to the Lord. How does that make any sense? I wait upon the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word do I trust. And Abram loads the wood upon Isaac's back, and they and he's laid upon the altar, and God stays His hand. He does not require this of them. Eventually the promise comes. The last promise was that through his family, blessing upon Abram's family, the entire world, I mean, that's a big promise, the entire world would be blessed. Abram waits for this, and he doesn't see it in his lifetime, but in his word he trusts. And indeed, the promise does come true. Abram received a promise and had to learn to wait, but it wasn't a passive thing. It was an active thing. David, too, when he was a teenager, he was, he was about 15 years old, and the old prophet Samuel comes into town, beard down to his knees, and he asked kings, all the sons except the youngest, David, who was keeping watch over. And Samuel goes son to son to son. It's none of these sons. These aren't, none of them are going to be the king that God has anymore. And he says one more and he brings David and that's the one. And he anoints him king. Samuel the prophet anoints David king of the whole nation when he's a teenager. But he does not come to sit upon the throne until he is 30 years old. He received the promise. The word of the Lord spoke. wait as, as, uh, as bears and lions attacked him in the wilderness. He had to wait as he stood before Goliath the Philistine and emerged victorious with a handful of smooth stones from the river. He had to wait as he stood in Saul's courts as the one victorious over Goliath and Saul in his jealousy seeks to pin him He waits as he runs into the wilderness. How far from the throne could you be as he hungers and thirsts and eventually returns and enters into the promise. And so another promise that one day one of his descendants will sit upon the throne of Israel forever. Abram received a promise, received a word. Actively, David received a promise, received a word, trusted in it, had to wait and to watch as he moved closer toward the reality that God had. That's what Advent is about. We've received the promise. Christ has come. He has lived. He has died. He has been raised again. He has ascended into heaven. He promises to come again. We received a promise. And we're also waiting for the fullness of that promise to come. This is Advent. It's the story of God's people. Um, I would like... Uh, to give you 
Another example of this, waiting like Abraham waited for a son, like David waited for a throne. It's not a season of passivity, it's action, preparation. So here's, here's a little story from my week. <clears throat> Uh, for Thanksgiving for years, uh, my family has gotten together, my dad's side of the family, my aunt. They have three girls. Full of girls this week. <laughs> <clears throat> my Uncle Bob's a saint, so I'm hoping I can be like him when I grow up. <clears throat> Emma, the youngest of his daughters. Uh, is at Boston College. She's working on a degree. She went to divinity school, and now she's at Boston College. When she was in divinity school, she met John. And uh, they liked each other. And uh, John came to Thanksgiving this year. And at a certain point in the week, we noticed, my sister noticed that as Emma was reaching, there was a ring on her finger. A ring that she'd not had on there earlier in the week because Claire, her middle sister, had not yet arrived and they didn't want to spoil the surprise before Claire could. Of course we wanted the story, right? So on their way to Thanksgiving, Emma was driving to meet John and then they were driving together to be with us. And John is getting ready to propose. But Emma's on the way. Which means he has to do what? He has to wait. Man, you guys are good. Maybe I telegraphed that too, you know, pushed it too hard. And so what's John doing? He's, he's getting everything ready. He wants all the details to be right. He wants to be prepared. He wants everything. So he goes to the grocery store. He's going to make an amazing meal. And he calls him and he says, what kind of potatoes do you want? She says, whatever kind of potatoes she wants. I'm like, okay. <clears throat> a few minutes go by. Emma, what kind of vegetables do you want? Emma tells him what vegetables he wants. Emma, what kind of fruit do you want to eat? Why, you know, she tells him to be just right, just the right foods, just the right things. He's waiting. But waiting is not passive, is it? Do you see now? It's like someone waiting to sit back. You enter into it with eagerness, with earnestness. You want things to go right. And so Emma comes and he proposes and she says yes. And so we celebrate. Advent's supposed to be like that. I don't know if you've ever thought of Advent in those terms, with that amount of energy. Advent's supposed to be like that. Um, in fact, Advent is actually what your whole life is supposed to be like. We just focus on it a little more right here. But your entire life is coming and His final one. A getting ready, a preparing, a moving into the future, trying to be ready to meet the Lord Jesus, your betrothed. The one who's promised himself to you. So we've got Abram, we've got David, we've got John and Emma. I was at two funerals this week. Uh, first at Frank Williams' funeral, uh, brother to Andrew, and then at Obi Gregg's funeral, uh, father. 
So let me tell you about Frank, and let me tell you about Obi, a little bit about their lives. Uh, Frank grew up in Matthews, as did Andrew, back when there were town. Matthews is now like Charlotte, basically, an extension. Uh, so they've seen a lot. They used to ride Main Street on their bikes. And um, I think in terms of life, Frank wasn't sitting back waiting passively for things to happen. It seemed a few years ago, but it was good to know more about him. Um, he lived with, with a passion and an energy to him. Uh, he was involved with many things. Um, he loved, in particular, uh, sports as a kid, um, to events, uh, Charlotte Panthers, uh, or the Carolina Panthers, Charlotte Hornets, um, into town. He was always getting tickets to events and going to these events. Uh, and actually, it didn't seem to matter whether he had tickets or not. One time, when the, Char when the Hornets were in Charlotte the first time, uh, years ago, family realized they didn't see him he had actually crashed an after party at uh the the hornets arena that was just for like vip members only his dad sees him the next morning so he says i met him at this event and he said did did you get her name and he said i got her number and he would go on to call that girl back and they would get married and have children and raise their kids together um, he gave himself to scouts big time in a similar way to Andrew, to the life of his church. Um, many years in the Baptist church there, and that's where he learned the good news of Christ. Um, but then, as you may remember from some years ago, he, he had cancer. One of the rarest forms of cancer. Someone said maybe the rarest form of cancer. I don't know if that's true or not. Form of cancer that involved all these new therapies that he underwent for years. And he began um, to understand his treatment as not just being for himself, but others who might come behind him uh, who would need some of the treatment or the therapy that, helped, that was helped develop by, by his life and by his case. So he was kind of offering himself up for that purpose. Um, so he was sort of waiting to meet Jesus. He knew it was going to happen sometime, but he understood his through and the difficulty and the passion that he could offer in that time. In that waiting time, it wasn't just wait until it happened. It was, no, let's see what we can figure out for others. He began to offer for people to live sacrificially. Frank waited for Christ, but he did it with a passion, with an activity uh, that taught me a little something as I learned about him. So I think he was 58. Uh, Obi was 92. Different sort of story. Uh, Obi was married for 70 years to Roger's mom. They had five boys and a girl. 70 years. Obi spent a lifetime preparing. The, the theme of the preacher's sermon was essentially, are you ready to meet Christ? And his understanding, his take was, Obi really was, particularly in the later years. And, and the waiting wasn't just a passive thing. 
it was waiting kind of like Obi used to wait in the woods because he spent a lot of time hunting. And when you're doing that, yeah, you're waiting, but your, your senses are also alert. You're listening. You're looking. You're anticipating. You're getting ready. You want to make sure everything is in place so that when the moment comes, you're available to it. You're able to offer yourself to it, enter into it. And Obi's life was like that, particularly towards the end when Roger's mom passed of 70 years he was ready to meet the Lord Jesus and he was ready to be reunited with her um, he had a little plaque the casket was here and there's a little plaque up on the right and he'd been telling people that if he wasn't there in the morning not to worry because he was in a better place he had been ready and then the time of his waiting was over, and the morning light had come. That's Advent. It's Abram and David, John and Emma, Frank and Obi. They all in their own ways show us the way of Advent. Eager watching that is the posture that you're invited to take. Like a man preparing for a proposal, eager to get every detail just right. Like a person eager to note those elements of their own soul which have become cancerous or sinful. So that we might also uproot them and offer them to the Savior who conquers sin. The best thing that you could ever do for another human being is to become holy. Because that is the process of your purification so that you come to have Christ live in you. So that your encounters with others are full. Advent is like the 92-year-old widow and father whose physical Christ who gives strength, like Abraham and David, looking forward, getting ready, all while remembering God's promises and appearances in your life in the past. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His Word, I hope, my soul waits for the morning more than those who watch for the morning. Why don't we do that this year? Why don't we do that together? Let's do it eagerly. Let's watch like those watchmen who the morning sun. Let's prepare in penitence and in faith so that Christ, who's the light of the world, promises to come again, might dawn in our hearts and in this church. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.